0: Alright, well we're there in James chapter number 1, and like we've been talking about tonight, we're starting a brand new book of the Bible, and we're going to be going uh, spend several weeks in the book of James. The book of James is not a very long book, it's only 5 chapters. There's a lot in the book of James, and we're going to be going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We'll probably spend 2 or 3 weeks just in chapter 1. We'll, we won't rush it, we won't spend more time than we need to, but we'll make sure we get everything we can out of the book of James. Now tonight, being the first sermon in, in the book of James... I want to kind of use tonight as an introduction to the book of James. There may be a lot of things about the book of James that you don't know, so I want you to understand tonight, it's going to be more teaching uh, maybe than than preaching, and uh, we'll get into preaching over the next several weeks, but I want to just kind of teach you, and, and every sermon uh, at our church is teaching and preaching, and you know it doesn't make a difference, it's all the same, it's the Word of God, but uh, I, I want to just kind of, tonight would be a good sermon to take notes maybe, if you, if you like uh, to keep notes uh, of, of the book of James and stuff like that, and I want to begin uh, with, with just the first word there in verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The the writer of the book of James is a man by the name James, and keep your finger there in James, obviously as a text on Wednesday nights, but go with me to the book of John just real quickly, John chapter number 7, and I want you to know that in the Bible, there were three different men in the New Testament that went by the name of James. The first was uh, James, who was one of the... Uh, original 12 apostles, if you remember, he was part of that inner group. Remember, Jesus had his 12 apostles, but there was those three, Peter, James, and John, that were always, you know, just the closest to him. They went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. James was the son of John, the, the children of Zebedee. And uh, then there was also another James that I'd like you to notice in John chapter number 7. And look at verse number 3, John chapter number 7. and verse number 3, the Bible says this, his brethren, now the his there is referring to Jesus, and I, you can go back and read the context of John chapter 7 if you like, but it's referring to Jesus, and it says, His brethren, therefore, said unto him, now notice what they're saying to Jesus, they're saying, depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret that he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The brothers of Jesus, his brethren, are talking to Jesus about the fact that he needs to go out and 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 uh, and stop being secretive and show himself to the world. Now, I want you to understand. This is not a good thing that they're saying to him. They're actually kind of poking fun at Jesus. They're mocking Jesus. Because look at verse number 5. So neither did his... Referring to Jesus, brethren believe in him. Did you see that? Jesus, according to John chapter 7, had brothers. But his brothers did not believe in him. In Jesus. Could you believe that? Could you? You know, and today a lot of people don't realize that Jesus had brothers. But I want you to notice from verse 5 of John chapter 7. His brethren, the Bible says, neither did his brethren believe in him. Go with me to Matthew chapter number 13. You're there in John. Just a few uh, books to the beginning of the New Testament. First book of the New Testament. Matthew 13. Let me show you where the Bible spells out the brothers of Jesus. A lot of people don't uh, understand or don't know that Jesus had siblings. In fact, uh, there is a famous uh, doctrine out there uh, taught that that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a perpetual virgin. And the, the main people who teach that doctrine are the Roman Catholic Church. And what they mean by that is that she was a virgin the entire time. Even after she gave birth to Jesus, she was just a virgin forever. And they still refer to her as the Virgin Mary. But I want you to notice, Scripture does not teach that. And that's why it's important to study the Bible. It's important to study the word of God at Verity Baptist Church we are biblicists what that means is we don't go off of tradition we don't go off of what you know well this is what tradition teaches and this is what the Baptists teach and this is what historical it doesn't matter what anybody taught the only thing that matters is the word of God what does the Bible say in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55 the Bible says this is not this the carpenter's son and again they're referring to Jesus you can uh, read that in the context and notice what is that what they said is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, now notice what they say, his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. Do you see that? Now there, it, it basically tells us, and it also goes on to tell us that he had sisters. So Mary was not a perpetual virgin. After giving, she was the Virgin Mary when she gave birth to Jesus Christ because he was not conceived of a man. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. But after that, the Bible teaches that her and Joseph had children and they had uh, 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 a child named James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and those were the brothers of Jesus. Now I want you to understand this, okay? His brethren did not believe in him. And that's why Jesus said, that a prophet is not without honor save in his own country and his, his, in regards to his own family. He says, look, and, 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 and that ought to, you know, when, when you go out and you talk to your brothers or your sisters or your cousins or your mom or your dad or someone that's very close to you and they kind of just shun you or they don't want to hear it or they think that you're crazy. Hey, listen, they did it to Jesus. It's, it's, it's normal. A prophet will have honor except in his own country you know, and other people will listen to the prophet, but his own family won't. Now, I want you to keep your finger there in Matthew 13, and go with me to Jude, uh, verse 1. There's only one chapter in Jude. Jude is right before the book of Revelation. It's one chapter before the book of Revelation, and I want you to notice something. Now, we saw in John chapter 7 and verse 5, it said, neither did his brethren believe in him. So, we know that During the time of the ministry of Jesus Christ, while he was on this earth, while he was you know healing people and preaching these great sermons, his brothers did not believe that he was the Messiah. They did not believe that he was the Son of God. They did not believe in him. And we know that they're James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. But I want you to notice something. When you get to the book of Jude, the Bible says this, Jude chapter 1, or the only chapter, and look at verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. Do you see that? Now, if you go back to Matthew 13, notice the names of Jesus' brethren. His brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. That's Jude who wrote the book of Jude. Now, here's what I just said. During the time of Christ, the brothers of Christ did not believe on him. But eventually, after the resurrection of Jesus, they did believe in him. And James ended up writing... Most people believe, and I believe, that A- James ended up writing the book known today as the book of James, and Jude, or Judas, ended up writing the book of Jude, and they became followers of Jesus Christ. Now, go to First Corinthians chapter number 15. First Corinthians chapter number 15. You're there in, I don't know where you're at, Jude or Matthew? It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15... 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is known as the resurrection chapter. And I know we're looking at a lot of references you know, outside of James. We're going to get into James a lot over the next several weeks. But I kind of want to give you an introduction and give you, help you to understand what the book of James is about and who wrote the book of James. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 3. Uh, we'll start at verse number 3, but I want you to notice about chapter 15. It's the resurrection chapter. It, it, the emphasis of the book of, uh, of 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice what it says in verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that He was buried... And that he rose again the third day, according to Scripture. That's the Gospel, by the way. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 5, okay? And that he was seen of Cephas. Now remember who Cephas is? Cephas is Peter, alright? And that he was seen of Cephas... Then of the twelve, the twelve are the twelve original apostles, disciples. Look at verse 6. After that, he was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are fallen asleep. Now notice verse 7. After that, he was seen of James. Do you see that? After that, he was seen of James. Now I want you to notice this. You say, well, how do we know that that's not the, the, the James, you know, the son of Zebedee? the brother of John, you know, Peter, James, and John. Well, he already appeared to Cephas, and he already appeared to the 12. So here he's telling us that he appears to James. But I want you to notice, and I don't have time to go into this. You can study this out on your own. There were the original 12 apostles, but then the Bible tells us that there was more than 12 apostles. In fact, the Bible tells us that there were 70 apostles. And this James isn't even one part of those 70, because notice says after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Do you see that? So it's making a difference to the fact that it's telling us, you know, he wasn't with Cephas, he wasn't with the 12, he he went to James, he wasn't even with the 500, he goes to James, and then he goes to all of the apostles. But it's telling us that this James was not an apostle. Now, later, James, the, the brother of Jesus, is referred to as an apostle. But here, we're told, here's what I want you to understand, okay? During the ministry of Jesus... His brothers, James and Judas and Joseph, all those guys, are not believing in him. They're saying, you know, I mean, what would it take for you to convince your brother that you're the son of God? I mean, that'd be pretty difficult, right? I mean, what would you have to do to convince your sister, hey, listen... I'm God in the flesh, okay? So, you know, they were having trouble with this. They were struggling. You know, they're saying, well, I, I know your mom. You know? I, I know, I know where you grew up. I mean, yeah, your room was always clean, but good night, the Son of God. You know what I mean? They're like, I don't, I don't know that I can accept this, you know? So they struggled with that, James and Joseph. But when you see your brother die on a cross, and three days later, he's resurrected. Three days later, he knocks on your door. You know, you open your door. Hey, James. Hey Jesus didn't you die? you know you know I, I think at that point you just got kind of to say, okay I, I believe you know the the whole turning you know water into wine I, I thought that was just a magic trick, but you you came back from I saw you die I mean I saw they took the body down and they put you you know once you see your brother come back from the grave, you kind of just think, okay you know what do you want me to do I, I can write the book of James sure I 'll do that you know what I mean I mean he they just believed on him now I want you to notice this. James goes from an unbeliever during the ministry of Christ and after the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 7 tells us that Jesus specifically appears to James and then James emerges in the church in Jerusalem as a leader. Go go to Galatians chapter 1. Let me show you. Galatians chapter 1. You're there in 1 Corinthians. 1 and 2 Corinthians. Then you got the book of Galatians. Go past 2 Corinthians. You got Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, We have the Apostle Paul giving us a little bit of his testimony of when he was converted. Now, I want you to notice what he says in verse number 18. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 18. Then after three years, I... Now, the I there is Paul. Talking about his conversion. Saul becoming Paul. I went up to Jerusalem. Now, notice what he says. To see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the Apostles saw I none save, he says, except James... The Lord's brother. Do you see that? So now, so we have this James who John tells us did not believe on Christ. We have this James who 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus specifically went to James and showed himself and said, Now what? You know, do you believe me now? You know, I came back from the dead. He showed him his resurrection. And now this James is emerging as a leader in the church of Jerusalem because when Paul Goes back to Jerusalem after his conversion, after his time in Arabia, and all those things. He goes to see Peter, who's the leader of the 12, and then he says, I didn't see any of the apostles, but I saw James, the Lord's brother. Now go to Acts chapter 15, and let me show you even more the fact that James kind of rose as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. You say, Well, why does this matter? It matters because it explains a little bit of the introduction of the book of James, and I want to show you that. James arose as the leader in the church of Jerusalem, and many believe, and so do I, that James was actually probably the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So he wasn't just, you know, kind of like an associate pastor or a deacon or, or you know, an usher or something, but he was actually the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Let me give you some uh, some. Advice or some, some references for that. Acts chapter 15, look at verse number 5. Acts chapter 15 and verse 5, the Bible says this. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. Now, did you catch that? Remember when we were studying the book of Matthew? We just studied the book of Matthew. Uh, just finished it, you know, 13 weeks ago or something like that. Who, who kept giving Jesus trouble all throughout the Gospels? I mean, the Pharisees were fighting him. The Pharisees were arguing with him. The Pharisees are the ones that, that you know... Uh, accused him and got him arrested and all those things. But listen to me, he, and here's what you understand this is why our the movement of Christianity is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because see, today people like to teach, and there are cults out there that say that Jesus was just a Messiah. He, I mean, he was just a prophet, he was just a teacher, he was just a good man. But listen to me, he wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a good teacher. He didn't just have these magic tricks that he did. He was the son of God that died on the cross, was buried, and then by his own power, by the power of the Holy Ghost, and by the power of God the Father, rose from the grave. And even the Pharisees, after his resurrection, believed on him. Look, I mean, are you looking at verse 5? But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed. They got saved. They went, you know, they said, you guys are right. Man, good night. I can't believe we put him to death. You know? Now they, they brought with them some false doctrine. Notice what it says. Saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now they're referring to Gentile believers. And know what they're saying. They're saying the Pharisees in Jerusalem are saying about believers in, in that are Gentiles outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, they're saying, okay, well, those believers, they have to get circumcised in order to be Christians, and they have to keep the law of Moses. Now, obviously, that was wrong. You know, Paul, later on in Galatians, would say, if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. He would say, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever you are justified by the law. He says, you are fallen from grace. There's nothing you have to do to be saved. You know, and in these days they were saying you gotta get circumcised to be saved and that was wrong today people say you gotta get baptized to be saved you gotta go to church to be saved you gotta repent of your sins to be saved let me tell you something it's good to get baptized good to go to church good to repent of your sins but if you have to do any of that to be saved then you're gonna die and go to hell because you can't do enough good things to save you the only thing that can save you is Jesus Christ The death, burial, and resurrection, His sacrifice, there's not enough good things I can do uh, to to be able to justify and atone my own sins. But here, even in the early days, this work salvation was creeping in to the church, and they were commanding people, saying they had to be circumcised to keep the law of Moses. Look at verse 6. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider... Uh, uh, to consider of this matter. Now, you know, the theologians like to call this the Jerusalem Council. And this is when they all got together. They said, okay, well, let's figure this out. Do we have to make Gentiles get circumcised in order to be saved? Now, listen, I personally am thankful that the answer was no. You know what I mean? I mean, could you imagine that? It's hard enough getting people to get baptized. Imagine if we went to you and said, now, we've got to circumcise you if you want to be a Christian. I mean, that's, that's, that's not a good thing. But look at verse 7. And when there had been much disputing Peter rose up and said unto them. Now, Peter is the leader of the church, uh, uh, one of the leaders there of the 12 apostles. Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And Peter goes on and gives a testimony about how he was, how he went. Remember, he went to the house of Cornelius and he went and got them saved and the Gentiles received the gospel. They got saved and all that. Uh, let's skip down to verse number 12. Then all the multitude kept silence after Peter gets done speaking, and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul. Now remember, Barnabas and Paul are the missionaries that are going out into Galatia and Ephesus and and Corinth and preaching the gospel to these Gentiles. So they gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, notice, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon had declared how God at the first had visit the Gentiles to take, out them, uh, to take out of them a people of his name. Now, we're, gonna, we're not going to read everything that he said, but skip down to verse number 19. Here's what I want to show you. James is the one that's speaking. Now, notice what he says. He says, wherefore, my sentence is. Now, James is the one who's speaking. He says, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. And praise the Lord for that. And and but I want you to notice a couple of things. James is the one making the decision. Do you see that? All the elders, they all got together, and from time to time, you know, I'll get, you know, the, the, the ushers together and the song leaders or whatever, and, and if we have problems or we have things, from time to time, we'll go all get together and I'll ask questions say, what do you think we should do about this, and what do you think we should do here, and how do we solve this problem, and how do we solve that problem, and even this on Sunday, uh, you know, Brother Vincent was talking to me about some of the things that uh, some of the ushers had brought up to him in regards to seating and things that we can do and fix and whatever, but look, At the end of this meeting, you know, Peter gets up, Paul gets up, you know, everybody gets up, but when it comes down to the end, verse 19, wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them. James says, here's what I decided, here's what we're going to do. So that kind of shows that James was probably the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He's the leader. You know, he's getting all this advice from Peter and Paul and Barnabas and all this stuff. But then he says, here's what I decided. Here's what we're going to do. And, and this has nothing to do with the sermon, but notice what he says. He says, "Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. That's a pastor's heart. You know, what I've noticed uh, uh, as being the pastor of Verity Baptist Church for the last four years or four and a half years or however long it's been, I've noticed that people in the pew are way more quick you know, they're, they're on this hair trigger, just, ah, just, let's get rid of this person, let's get rid of that person, you know, I can't stand these people. But you know what? James said, hey, let's not make it hard for people. Notice what he says, he says, wherefore my sentence is, that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. He said, let's not make it hard for people to come to church. Let's not make it hard for people to get connected. Let's not make it hard for people. See, James had this heart We he want to reach people. He said, let's not just sit here and start criticizing everybody, Get mad at everybody. Look at that guy and look at that girl and look at that. He says, hey, let's make it easy for them. And here's what he's saying. If you're going to ask them to get circumcised, you're going to trouble them. You're going to make it real difficult for people. Gentiles are not going to want to get saved if you're telling them that they've got to get circumcised. And obviously it was unscriptural. But you, you see the heart of a pastor where he says, let's not trouble them. Let's not bother them. Let's not make it hard. Look, it's hard enough trying to get people to show up to, for you to preach the Bible to them. And you want to add all these rules and all these different things and all this criteria they got to follow. Hey, listen, he says, let's love people and let's help people. So James probably. And I'm not going to tell you. uh, Go back to James uh, chapter one. I'm not going to tell you 100 percent. Sure, I know for a fact that James was the half brother uh, who wrote the book of James was the half brother of Jesus. But it is very likely that James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the one who wrote the book of James. And I'm going to bring all this, all this information I gave you, I'm going to bring it together in a few moments when we look at verse uh, 1 and 2 here. But uh, just by way of introduction and, you know, and just telling you about the book of James, let me give you some things that the book of James emphasizes. There are certain things that the book of James emphasizes. And for those of you that like to take notes, uh, you might want to write these down and uh, if you don't get them all, I'll, I'll repeat them for you. But the book of James emphasizes the idea of brethren. The word brethren is found 15 times in the book of James. Now, keep in mind, the book's only five chapters long. 15 times he says this word brethren, 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 brethren. And, and for those of you that want to write those down and look at them, in James chapter 1, it's found in verse 2, in verse 16, and in verse 19. In James chapter 2, is found in verse 1 verse 5, and verse 14. In James chapter 3, it's found in verse 1 and verse 10 and in verse 12. In James chapter 4, it's found in verse 11. In James chapter 5, it's found in verses 7, 9, 10, 12, and 19. So you notice he keeps ringing up this word uh, brethren. There's also another thing that's emphasized in the book of James, and it's this idea of the law. The word law is used in these five chapters ten times. And uh, in James chapter 1, it's in verse 25. In James chapter 2, it's in verse 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. And in James chapter 4, it's in verse number 11. Another thing that's emphasized in the book of James, and I just want to give you these things that are emphasized. So You can be looking for them as you're reading the book of James. Another theme emphasized in the book of James is the idea of wisdom. The word wisdom comes up four times in the book. James 1, 5, James chapter 3, verses 13, 15, and verse 17. And the last idea I want to give you is uh, the idea of patience. Patience is talked about in the book of James. Um, the word patience is used five different times in James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, James chapter 5, verses 7, 10, and 11. Now, that, those are the emphases of the book of James. But let me give you just real quickly the theme of the book of James. And every book of the Bible has an agenda. It has something that it's trying to teach you, something that it's trying to get across. And the theme of the book of James is maturing as Christians. The theme of the book of James, you got to understand this, the book of James was not written to explain to us the gospel. If you want to read a book that explains to you salvation, read the book of John. When you get to the end of the book of John, the book of John tells us at the end of the book that the purpose of the book is that people might believe on Jesus Christ. The book of James, the purpose of the book of James is to take people that are already saved, already believers, already Christians, and to help them mature. And see, where people get all mixed up is where they want to take a book that's about maturing as a Christian and try to preach the gospel out of it. Or they want to take a book that's all about, you know, the gospel and try to teach you something else out of it. You got to study the Bible within its context. The purpose and the theme of the book of James is to mature as Christians to live out the Christian life. And there's another theme that I kind of like. It's the theme of controlling your tongue. Let me give you some some verses to look at. Look at James chapter 1 and look at verse 4. And again, we're not getting into our verse-by-verse study yet. I'm just giving you some things to show you. Uh, And it's all throughout the book of James, but I'll just give you some highlights. James chapter 1 and verse 4, the Bible says this, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire. And that's the theme of the book of James, to bring you to the place. The word perfect doesn't mean like I never make mistakes in the King James Bible. The word perfect means I'm complete. And that's why he says perfect and entire. He says, I want patience to have a perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Look at verse 8, same chapter. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And one of the themes of the book of James is to take a new Christian who's double-minded, who's unstable, who, you know, who who goes you know, with, the, with the wind and kind of just goes with the winds of doctrine, and to take that individual and to make them perfect and entire and complete. Another theme of the book of James is to bring someone to maturity by living out the Christian life. Look at verse 21 of James chapter 1. Look at verse 21. I'm just trying to show you the theme of the book of James and what the purpose of the book is. James chapter 1, verse 21. He says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. The word superfluity means something that is unnecessary. And he says, And receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22. But be ye doers, of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. See, one of the themes of the book of James is to do something. Not just to come to church and hear a good sermon preached, but then go home and do it. He says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. And by the way, if you think coming to church and listening to a sermon is going to change your life, you're only deceiving yourself. Because the only way that things change is someone said this, you don't get results by wishing you get results by working and sometimes you got to actually do something and sometimes you have to take what you've been taught and apply it to your life and that's a theme in the book of James to be a doer of the word go to James chapter 2 look at verse 18 James chapter 2 let me show show you and James chapter 2 is a real controversial uh, chapter about works and faith and we're going to spend an entire sermon on on the latter part of that chapter, and we're going to explain. If you're a soul winner, you want to be here when we talk about James chapter 2, because this is something that people are often confused about, people are often throwing out their false doctrine, and we're going to go through and teach you what that whole faith and works deal is about. But go to James chapter 2 and look at verse 18. He says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works." I want you to notice that James has this theme of not of of applying of working of and because the reason is James wants you to mature as a Christian. They want you to live out the Christian life, and one of the best ways to live out the Christian life, if you go back to James chapter one, a theme and another theme in the book of James is this idea of controlling your tongue. You know, I I believe one of the biggest struggles we have as Christians is the ability to control our tongue, the ability to control the things that we say. We often offend people, and we're mean, and we're crude, and we're rude, and we got to get our tongues under control. And this is a theme in the book of James. Look at James chapter 1 and verse 19. He says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be, I I love this advice, be swift to hear, slow to speak. That's good advice right there. He said, be quick to listen and slow to talk. Someone said, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You ought to use your ears twice as much as you use your mouth. And the truth is, most of us probably use our mouth twice as much as we use our ears. And instead of listening to people and hearing people, we want to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, and we end up putting our foot in our mouth. And here, you know, James says, hey, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to rap. And again, he's talking to Christians about being mature. Look at verse 26, same chapter. James chapter 1, verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious. Again, this idea of maturity. He says, they seem to be religious. They look like they got their act together. They look like they're a good Christian. And bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. Do you see the, do you see the theme already? Where he's just saying, like, you're deceiving yourself. If you're hearing the word and you're not doing it, you're deceiving yourself. If you seem to be religious and you don't bridle your tongue, you're deceiving your own heart. This man's religion is vain. There's this theme through the book of James of controlling your tongue. Go to James chapter 3. I'll show you one verse in James chapter 3. But I want you to know that the entire chapter of James chapter 3, there's one verse focus in the entire chapter, and it's this idea of controlling your tongue. He gave a whole chapter, you know, I mean, he didn't give the whole chapter, you know, it was split up later, but he, but the entire chapter of the book of James is just devoted to this idea of controlling your tongue. James chapter 3, look at verse 2. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, now he, here's what he saying, this is a good example, he's saying, if you don't offend in word, if you can talk to someone without offending, the same is a perfect man, remember? Mature, complete, and able to, to, also to bridle the whole body. So he's talking about maturing as a Christian, and oftentimes it's connected to this idea of controlling your tongue. But the entire chapter of James, of chapter 3, is all about controlling your tongue. You got a problem with criticism. You got a problem with gossip. You got to know everything and what's happening in that person's life and what are they into and what are they... You got a problem with just talking about people and talk, you know, uh, backbiting and murmuring and complaining. You need to be here for James chapter 3. It's going to be a lot of fun, all right? So uh, as we study James, it's all about controlling your tongue. And here's the thing. There's a secret to controlling your tongue let me let me give you let me give you a little commercial because here's what james chapter 3 is teaching if you can learn to control your tongue you can learn to control everything else about your body you say pastor Jimenez, i can't control my finances learn how to control your tongue you'll learn how to control your finances I, I don't know. How to, I'm trying to you know I'm trying to be healthier, but I just can't you know discipline myself to be healthier. Learn how to control your tongue. You'll learn how to discipline yourself because it all comes back to this idea of controlling your tongue. That's what James chapter three teaches. You have to be here for that. Go back to uh, James chapter one, and we'll we'll get into just a little bit of the introduction. Uh, and like I said. To, Tonight was kind of just helping you understand the book of James. Uh, We're going to get into it, you know, real hot and heavy next week, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We'll be preaching through the book of James. Tonight was just kind of giving you an idea of the introduction and it was more teaching. But let me give you just a couple thoughts, just one more introductory thought uh, about the book of James and and, uh, before we're done tonight. James chapter 1, look at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice this phrase, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. Now, today, there are those who call themselves dispensationalists. Now, you know, if you don't know what a dispensationalist is, don't worry about it. Don't even look into it. It's a waste of time, okay? But today, there are people who call themselves dispensationalists, which basically want to teach that God dealt with different people at different times, and, you know, and, and some of them take it to, to, you know, some of them are worse than others, and some take it to, to unholy, you know, you know, extremes. Some people teach that in the Old Testament, you're saved by works, and in the New Testament, you're saved by grace, you know? So I had a dispensation to say to me, well, in the Old Testament, it was a dispensation of the law. And in the New Testament, it's a dispensation of grace. So, you know, we're saved by grace, but in the Old Testament, they have to, you know, uh, they, they were saved by the law. They didn't have grace available to them. I took him to Genesis, uh, to the story of Noah there, where it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he just kind of said, like, oh, well, I don't know about that, you know. I said, well, the problem is you've been reading a bunch of books, but you haven't been reading the book, you know. You've been reading a bunch of commentaries, but you haven't been reading the Bible. Because you don't have to get that many chapters into, you know, Genesis to find God giving grace to Noah. So, you know, we're not dispensationalists at Very Baptist Church. We just study the Bible. We just read the Bible. You know, you can throw your commentary in the trash or whatever, you know, and, you know, you're... It's good to get helps, it's good to have people help you, and it's good to listen to preaching, but the Bible must be the authority of all matters of faith and practice. But there are hyper-dispensationalists, here's why I bring it all there are hyper-dispensationalists who will say that the only books that apply to Christians today are the books written by the Apostle Paul. You know, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And, uh, and no other book is applicable to us. We don't, the, Matthew's for the Jews. And they'll say that James is for the Jews. They'll say James is not for believers today. It's for the Jewish people. And they'll use verse one as their, you know, reason for that. They'll say, see, it's to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. But I want you to just notice verse two. He says, my brethren. Now, he's talking about the 12 tribes, right? Because he said, he said, James is servant of God of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And then he says about those 12 tribes scattered abroad. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. So what did he call those 12 tribes which are scattered abroad in verse 2? He called them my what? Brethren, right? He called them brethren. Now, here's the thing. Throughout the New Testament, the word brethren is used as a term for believers. In fact, there's probably no word that's used more often to refer to someone as being saved than the word brethren. But even in the book of James, go to chapter 2, look at verse 1. He defines what a brethren is. Notice James chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, My brethren, now notice what he says, Have not faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons now here's what he's saying because in James 2 he's talking about not you know looking at someone that they're not dressed nice and judging them and and being critical of them because you don't like them because they don't come from your side of town or whatever and that'll be a nice sermon when we get there but notice what he says he says have not faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect to persons now he's saying you have faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I don't want you to have that faith with respect of persons, meaning you respect one person more than another because this guy drives a nice car and this guy has a nice house and this guy has nice clothes and this person, you know, they don't drive a nice car and they don't have nice clothes so I'm going to show more respect to this person than that person. That's what he's teaching. But I want you to notice, he says, you have the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. So according to him, according to James himself, James chapter 2 verse 1, the brethren have the faith of of the Lord Jesus Christ. He just doesn't want them to have it with respect to persons. So according to James, the brethren are saved, right? I mean, is that how you're saved? By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So when you go to James chapter 1 and verse 1, he says to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, but then the fact that he calls them brethren proves that these 12 tribes are believers. They're not Jews that are rejecting Christ. You know, as the Antichrist, these are Jews that have believed on Jesus Christ. So here's the question. Who is James talking to? Who's he writing this letter to? Go back to Acts chapter 2, just real quickly. We're almost done tonight. Acts chapter 2. It's 8.07. I'll be done in 7 minutes, 8 minutes. Um, We'll be done 8.15. Acts chapter 2. Well, we'll be done if you can listen quickly, all right? Acts chapter 2. Who is James talking to? These 12... Tribes of Israel. Because people say, "No, the Book of James is not for believers today. It's only for the Jews. Only for the Jews. You can't learn anything from it." The Bible says, "All scriptures given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works." So, all of the Bible is good for all of us, and it all uh, we can learn from all of it. And obviously, there are sections that don't apply to us today but we can learn from the Word of God. Now, here's what I want you to see, okay? In the book of Acts, the first church was the church of uh, Jerusalem, which, remember, we learned that James was the pastor, right? We saw that in Acts 15, that he was the leader. He's the one that made the decisions. But the first church that kind of came up after the resurrection of Christ was a church in Jerusalem, which was made up of Jews. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, this is the day of Pentecost. I don't have time to go through the whole story of Pentecost, but we had all these Jews come into Jerusalem from all over the world. And notice what happened. Remember, Peter uh, preached to the Jews there, and the 120 went out with the power of God, with the Holy Spirit's power, and they went out and preached the gospel. Verse 41, then they that gladly received this word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So in one day, can you imagine that big day? We had a big day a couple weeks, a few weeks ago at Easter, we had 186 in church. We didn't have 186 saved, we had 186 in church. The day of Pentecost, they had 3,000, not only saved, but 3,000 baptized. Can you imagine how long that would take? Baptized, 3,000, you know. (laughs) Next, next. Do you stick around? You know, I mean, they were baptized. Maybe it must have had some help. I don't know. But uh, they had 3,000 souls the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Okay, now notice verse 47. Skip down to verse 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord, notice, added to the church daily, such as should be saved. So the church of Jerusalem starts out in Acts chapter 1, 120 members. Chapter 2, they, are, they, they grow one big day, 3,000 members. Now they're at 3,120. But after that, in verse 47, we're told that every day people are getting saved, and every day the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Wouldn't that be a great goal for Verity Baptist Church? Wouldn't it be a great goal that every day, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every day there was somebody from our church out soul winning, knocking doors, getting people saved? That'd be a great thing. But here we're told the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now understand this. This is Jerusalem. These are mostly, probably mostly Jews from Jerusalem getting saved and being added to the church in Jerusalem. Look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. Notice this. Howbeit, Many of them which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about, notice, 5,000. So now they had another big day. And 5,000 people. So they had 3,000, you know, uh, to start with 120, they had 3,000 in Acts chapter 2. They're adding daily, every day they're adding, you know, new believers to this church. Acts chapter 4, they had 5,000 saved. Look at verse, uh, Acts chapter 5 and verse 14. Acts chapter 5 and verse 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord. Notice, multitudes, both of men and women, so we're told more people are getting saved. More people are being added. Multitudes. We're not told how many there, but we're told that there's a bunch of them. So here's what I want you to understand, okay? The church in Jerusalem is just blowing up. Church of Jerusalem, 3,000, 5,000, every day, multitudes. This church is growing. This church is expanding. This church is accomplishing something. And then we have Acts chapter 8. Now I want you to notice verse number 1. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And Saul, remember him? Now, Saul eventually becomes Paul, but not before he makes a mess of things. And Saul was consenting unto his death. That's the death of Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution. I want you to remember remember that. Against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all, does this phrase sound familiar? Scattered abroad. Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now keep your finger there, Acts chapter 8. And go back to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 1. James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Right? Is it far-fetched that the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, after great persecution where most of his church members have now been scattered abroad and they were mostly Jewish because they were from Jerusalem is it that hard to imagine that he's just writing a letter to them and you know could you imagine if, if you know if to, tomorrow you know the government you know tries to shut us down and tries to put it and we all you know end up you guys leave town or whatever would it be that far-fetched that I would write you a letter and say hey I just want to encourage you. I know you have to leave town because Saul was trying to kill you, but I want to help you. I want to make sure you get situated. I want to make sure you grow. See, it's not this thing where he's writing to these unbelieving Jews and it's not for us today and it's dispensational, and you've got to read this book. It's not like that. What he's doing is he's talking to 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad, because his church was scattered abroad and they were mainly Jews, but they were believers. They were brethren. They were saved. And he's writing, and he's helping them, and he's trying to encourage them. And notice what he says. Look at verse 2, James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Would you say that these people that got run out of Jerusalem are going through some trials and tribulations and diverse temptations at this time? He's trying to help them. He's trying to encourage them. So don't let somebody tell you, James is for the Jews. You shouldn't even read it. It's not for us. Look, it's for all believers. And here's the thing. If, if James, and, and people try to say, the book of James is written to this day, the book of, the, you know, nobody knows that, okay? There's no, like, microwave that you put a book in and you put the numbers in and it tells you it's this old, okay? I know that's what they try to have. We got this dinosaur bone and we put it in this machine and we put these buttons and a little receipt came out and told us it's 3 million years old. that's It's not true. Nobody knows that, Okay? You, you, nobody, there's no way it's an estimate. They're just guessing. They're lying to you, okay? Um, you know, so people say, well, it was right." We don't know that. But here's the thing. You say, well, why didn't he mention the Gentile believers? If Saul... Now remember, who was the missionary that went to the Gentiles? Saul. Paul, right? If Paul's the one that brought the gospel to the Gentiles, and at this time, Paul's the one that's scattering the brethren, there's probably not that many Gentiles believers to even speak of. At this time, they're probably all just Jews, And he's writing this letter to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad, but they're brethren, they're believers. And here's the point, the whole reason I brought that up. This verse, this chapter, this book is extremely applicable to all of us. It applies to all believers. Because here's the thing, here's what I know about you. You say, you don't know anything about me. You're right, but here's what I know through the word of God. You're going through something right now. Or, you say, I'm not going through anything. If you're not going through something right now, you just got done going through something. Or you're getting ready to go through something. You know how I know that? Because, yea, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And every believer goes through times of trials and temptation and tribulation and times when you kind of just need encouragement and you need somebody to help you. You need somebody to help you make sense of what's going on and why is this happening? Why is my life falling apart? Every believer goes through that. So James writes to these believers, that their whole lives been just falling apart. They've had to leave. They're being persecuted. Left their homes. Left their jobs. Left their businesses. Left their families. And he says, My brother, in verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We're not going to get into this. We'll get into the temptations and the trying of your faith next week. But I want to just encourage you to do a couple of things. If you're going through something, you say, Pastor, I mean, you don't even know, but right now I'm going through some trials. I'm, I'm going through some storms in my life. I want you to commit to be here as we study the book of James, because I believe that it can help you. I believe that the word of God can guide you and make sense of things. And I, and I want to encourage you to just commit and say, you know what? I'm going to be here every Wednesday night as we study the book of James, because this book was written to people that are saved and struggling. Saved. And going through trials, and I want to challenge you to read the entire book of James. Here's the challenge, all right. Read the entire book of James every week as we study the book of James. You say, Pat, you want us to read the entire book? It's only five chapters. <laughs> Not that long. It'll take you twenty minutes, all right. Read the entire book of James. You usually tell us to read the chapter, yeah, but it's only five chapters. Just read the whole book. Every every Wednesday before you come, just read the five chapters of the book of James as we study and learn it together. Commit to be here and get excited as we study the book of James because it's meant to help you grow and it's meant to help you mature and it's meant to help you uh, draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.